not going to go there. Uh, it's so good to be here today. Uh, I appreciate this church a lot. Uh, since joining Acts 29, uh, we've been getting bombarded with cards from uh, some of you, and it's been really nice. I go to the mail. You know, a little while I thought, okay, I've got so many from, uh, from Harvest Berry, and I thought that must be over. And then I went to the mailbox again and found another note of encouragement. So uh, those of you that have been behind that, thank you. But uh, I want you to know beyond that, you are an encouragement to uh, our church. Uh, your pastor has been an encouragement, and uh, I'm just so grateful for you and excited to be here today. So I've been looking forward to this. Well, I don't know what got into me, but I decided to run a 10K a number of years ago. Uh, I must have looked in the mirror and saw my athletic body and thought, you know, that just seems like the thing to do. And uh, the thing is, I thought, I got this. I got, how hard can 10K be? And uh, with Center Island, uh, I remember a couple days before, I said, I think I better start preparing for this. And so I did. I went out for a run, and uh, I, remember, I still remember the feeling. I got out there, and if, I thought, this is a lot harder than I expected. And uh, I, I did. I practiced, and then I was in pain, and I thought, this isn't going well. So I think what I'm going to do is just show up on race day and hope for the best. And so I did. Uh, the... Got there, my family, my kids were there, my wife was there to cheer me on, and uh, the starting pistol went off. I got the, you know, the Nike shirt, uh, Nike 10K, and uh, I took off. I was flying for a minute. <laughs> and, and then it was like, you know, I was like, why am I passing all these people? Like, I must be doing really well. Well, of course, I, I didn't do well. I wasn't at all prepared, and I had to slow down. And to my embarrassment walk, you don't want to be uh, one of those... Uh, especially for a 5K or a 10K, you don't want to be a walker, right? You, you don't want to be the guy that's, that hasn't prepared. But I was. And I remember getting to the end of that race and uh, just walking enough, you know, nine, nine and a half. Okay, I'm going to run across the finish line and at least uh, pretend that I ran the whole way. Although that everyone's looking at their clock and thinking like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, you think I'd learn my lesson? And I did. Uh, a couple years later, I signed up for 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathon, never quite made it to a full marathon, uh, but I ran a whole bunch of races. And I was prepared. That time I did all the work, you know, I practiced, I trained, uh, couched to, to half marathon. I was ready, and it was so much different. And then my wife that same year did uh, try a try. Uh, try a try is the basic form of a triathlon. It's like the entry-level triathlon. And I was so proud because I'd done all these other races. And a try-try is kind of like the, you know, it's like the kindergarten of triathlons. And everybody was so impressed with her. Everybody. And so I said, this is ticking me off. <laughs> I've done way more impressive things. So uh, I said, I'm going to sign up for a sprint triathlon. Well, not only did I not prepare for that, but I looked at my watch that day, the calendar. I was flying out that day. So I said, I think I need to begin in the early slot uh, that day, which is when the elite athletes begin. <laughs> and so the, you know, we're there on the beach uh, in our uh, wetsuits. We're getting ready to go. And uh, the big danger when you're starting a, a triathlon is getting kicked in the head because you're swimming and everybody's swimming and they're going to kick you in the head because you're all packed in together. Well, it wasn't a problem that morning. <laughs> uh, the, the gun goes off. They're flying. I'm way behind. You know, I get out there, eventually a raft pulls up before, beside me and says, sir, the race course is that way. Like, you might want to get back. And uh, 
at the end, the, the last event, or no, the second event was the, uh, the, the bike. See how much I know about triathlons. The second event is the, the cycling. And I remember one sound that I heard over and over and over again during that. Um, on your right, on your right. So, so people are passing me, right? On, on, my, on your left. And I was like, anyway, so I wasn't prepared at all. And what I've learned, it should be obvious to any of us who've done anything important at all, is preparation is essential. In fact, the more important something is, the more essential that preparation is. If you are doing something unimportant, you don't really need to prepare, you just show up. But if you're doing something that actually matters, you've got to prepare. It's absolutely essential. You discover that uh, all over the place, right? Uh, you discover that with anything important. Uh, if you are uh, painting, you know that a lot of the work of painting isn't actually like after you open the, the paint can, right? Most of the work is the boring stuff. It's the washing the walls. It's the sanding. It's the filling the holes. It's the taping. And only then, it's spreading out. For me, it's like spreading out all the tarps. Uh, the pros can skip all the taping and they don't tarp. They just, you know, but for most of us, the preparation, even for a pro, is the hard part. For an electrician, you know that an electrician doesn't just show up at your house. There's been an apprenticeship that's gone on. There's been a long training to get to that point. You know that uh, to propose to somebody, you don't just show up and uh, get down on bended knee and, and propose. You gotta hire the photographer who's in the bushes. You know, you gotta hire the band that as soon as she says yes, they come out and they start playing her favorite song. Actually, I don't know how you propose because it's been a long time since I proposed, but I hear that's what you do now. Preparation is essential. The more important the thing that you're doing, the more important the preparation is. The same is true when it comes to our walk with Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I've done the equivalent of uh, 10K without preparation in my spiritual life. And you might have as well. There's been January the 1st where I get a new Bible reading plan and I'm like, this is going to be the year. This is going to be the time that I plow through this. Well, it's the same. I haven't prepared myself. There's so many times when I've aimed to grow spiritually, but I've failed, not because I was doing the wrong thing, but because I hadn't adequately prepared. And that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, and by the way, I want to base it in God's word. A lot of what I'm going to do today is to get very practical. So a lot of today, what I'm going to do is uh, application oriented. It's going to be uh, but I, I need to ground it in God's word because if God's word doesn't say it, you can ignore everything I say. But God's word speaks of the importance of preparation. And so there's a passage of scripture that really has been stuck in my mind. I've been thinking about it a lot lately, and it's 1 Peter 1.13. And it's fascinating because in the King James Version, it gives us a, a very vivid image that a lot of the modern translations, because it's hard to understand, have uh, replaced. They've given the meaning of it, but they've taken the image away. So here's what is in 1 Peter 1.13 in the old version. It says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. There's a lot there that's so confusing. Uh, I, I think like, man, I understand every word there and I understand nothing about that sentence. Wherefore, when was the last time you used the, the word Wherefore. Okay, it was when you were quoting Shakespeare, right? Romeo, Romeo, where, wherefore art thou? Wherefore, 
What he's doing here is he's applying what he's been saying so far. Now, I wish I had time to go through 1 Peter 1 verses uh, 1 to 12. But basically what Paul has been doing has been talking about the blessed hope we have in Jesus Christ. And it's amazing. I encourage you to read it. It, it is amazing. So he begins to unpack the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. He talks about the living hope we have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That we have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And he goes on to unpack the riches of the gospel that we have in Jesus Christ. It's amazing. He, he says it's so amazing, actually, that uh, the prophets only got a glimpse of it, but they long, they long to see it. He talks about the angels, about how the angels from eternity are peering into the salvation that we get to enjoy as believers and saying, wow, can you believe that? And so all of this is, is Peter just saying, and I want to say to you, friends, the best news you're going to hear this morning is the news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. It is unbelievable. Every week I want to come and worship and be reminded of how amazing God is, how gracious he's been to us in Jesus Christ, that there's nothing left that has to be done to accomplish our salvation. Our inheritance is secure. The interest rates might go up. Inflation might go up. There's something they can't take away. That's our inheritance that's sure in Jesus Christ because it's been accomplished. It's being safeguarded in heaven for us. That is amazing. And in light of that, Peter says, Wherefore, in light of all that, let me tell you there's something to do. What is that thing we ought to do? He says, gird. Okay, did anybody gird anything lately? Okay, I did this morning. What gird is, is to encircle yourself with something. And so this morning, I girded myself with a belt. Uh, many of you did as well. You Girding is basically tying something around you, fastening something around you. So wherefore, in light of the great salvation we have in Jesus Christ, the inheritance that we have, that prophets and angels long to look into, therefore, gird your, the loins of your mind. Okay, so if you weren't lost before, <laughs> what in the world is the loins of your mind? Well, the loins would be the part of the body that basically back then, uh, they would have these long flowing ropes. And in order to run or to do anything in a hurry, you couldn't because the ropes would be so... Uh, they would, they would just be so flowing all over the place, expansive, that they, they would trip you up. And so Peter uses this image, and he says, look, you know that to run, the first thing you got to do is you got to say, okay, I got to uh, pick up all this flowy stuff, the fully flowy robes, I got to tuck them into my belt, and then I'm prepared for action. And Peter says, do that with your mind. In other words, you've got to, there's all this stuff that's going to trip you up. In light of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, You've got to prepare yourself for action. There's a preparation step that's necessary. And it's interesting because a lot of times when I preach, I preach about the gospel. I preach about the good news of Jesus Christ because that's what we ought to preach about. That is the great theme that every preacher worth his salt has to talk about. And I preach about that. And then I often preach application. Therefore, this is what you ought to do. But I think a lot of times I've missed this middle part. There's a preparation step that's necessary to go from here to there, to go from the riches of the gospel to actually applying them in your everyday life. And that's a step of girding your loins and preparing yourself for action. So preaching on this verse, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, and I love this. This was, he said this in 1882, but it feels like this was, uh, he just said this, like it's so relevant to today. He says, some are all ungirt and have their garments hanging loosely around them 
So they're unable to do anything effectively because they are continually perplexed with a thousand wandering thoughts. They do not think rightly about anything because they think in a loose fashion about everything. Isn't that good? Can you relate to that? Some of us are so full of distractions. We're so ungirt. Well, I'll never say that again, that you're ungirt, I'm ungirt. But we are. We're, we have all these things going on. We haven't prepared ourselves for what God has called us to do. And then he describes Paul, or Peter's solution. He says this, I would say that the short way of saying what Peter says when he says, gird the loins of your mind is this, pull yourself together. We often say in a great crisis or emergency, I must somehow or other pull myself together. That's exactly what the apostle means here. Have your robes all well fastened so that you will not be tripped up by them. Pull yourselves together and so gird up the loins of your mind. Friends, God has done amazing things for us. God has been so gracious to us. The best news you're going to hear this morning isn't what you need to do, it's what Jesus has done. But in light of what Jesus has done, we're called to respond in obedience. There's some things that God calls us to do. In light of what Christ has done, there's some steps we need to take. Before we take those steps, we've got to prepare to take those steps. We've got to gird up the loins of our minds because preparation is essential. The more important the endeavor, the more important that preparation is. So today, I want to get really practical. I almost feel embarrassed to preach this message today because it's so simple. As I uh, preach this, I'm being honest. It, all of this is, I almost want to, after every point that I say, almost go, duh. <laughs> but the reality of, of what I'm going to talk about, although it's, it's so simple, uh, very easy to understand, the reality is a lot of us aren't doing these things. And sometimes when we're not growing spiritually, we say, well, what is the problem? Well, I think the problem actually is we haven't girded the loins of our mind. We haven't prepared ourselves for action. And so next week, if I hope you'll come back. Uh, I'll be talking about the habits that really excite me. This stuff is not the glamorous stuff. I mean, this stuff is the, the sanding the walls, you know, the putting the drop cloths down. The, this is the preparation stuff. This is not the race where everybody's cheering and saying that this is like the stuff, like getting up five in the morning and doing the, the training that prepares you for the race. This is also basic. None of what I'm going to tell you this morning is, is exciting, but it's all necessary if we're going to grow spiritually. I found that before we get to what we have to do, I'm a pastor. Uh, I live in Toronto and uh, I've just realized as I've looked at my people, like, these things are the things that, if they're not in place, they get in the way of the spiritual growth that I want them to experience. So I want to talk about four loin-girding habits. They're preparatory habits. They're all incredibly basic and all incredibly central. Let me give them to you today. I want to back them up with scripture as well. Uh, and I want to encourage you as, let me just say a couple things. As we look at these, uh, number one, the habits are a means to an end. These are not the end in themselves. Jesus is the end. So as much as, you know who is really good at practicing habits? Pharisees. Okay. The habits, you know, it's so tempting sometimes to focus on the habits and lose sight of the end, which is Jesus. These habits are only to get you to Jesus. The other thing I'll say is uh, that I want you to just pick one today. As we're talking, it might be that uh, I'm giving you four. It might be that four is too many, that you get overwhelmed 
I would get overwhelmed listening to this. It might be as we're speaking that God, the Holy Spirit, challenges you to focus on just one. And so I want to give you permission as, as we cover these four preparatory habits that you just have permission to say, I think this one is the most strategic for me right now. I think this is the one where I really need to zero in and, and this is what God, the Holy Spirit, is prompting me to focus on right now. So here we go. Number one, make time. Okay. I told you this is simple, right? Make time. Making time is to help us avoid getting tripped up by busyness. And the issue is that we're all so busy. We live in a constant state of rush. I got in the car this morning. I put on the GPS. I saw that I had time to spare. I hit a yellow light, and I began to, to curse. Not literally curse, but like grumble. We hit another yellow light. And after the third yellow light, I was like, what's my problem? I'm not in a rush. I've got plenty of time, but I'm in a rush. I can't remember the last time I talked to somebody who wasn't busy. But here's the cost of busyness. It can rob us of the time we need for what matters most. Corrie ten Boom said this. Uh, she was uh, someone who lived through World War II and Nazi Germany and survived, but she said this. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. John Mark Comer piggybacks on her statement and says this, both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and to even your own soul. Now, I don't know how to solve the busyness problem. Uh, we, where we live, we're not going to escape busyness. It's the air we breathe. Our culture is a busy one. But I found that one of the most important things we need to grow is to actually make time in our schedules despite the busyness for what matters most. As a pastor, I noticed my people would come in and I would notice that they were busy all the time. And I would ask them things like, you know, how, is your, how are you growing spiritually? And how's your prayer life? You know, how's your time in God's word? And what I would hear, I would ask them other habits. Are you practicing these habits in order to grow? And here's what I heard back. I'm so busy. I, I would like to do it, but I'm just so busy. And the solution to the busyness is we're never not going to be busy, but it's to make time in the busyness. As one author puts it, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of our faith. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Can you relate? I know those seasons of my life where I'm just flying through life. And somebody says, Daryl, how are you doing with God? And I just respond, it's been really busy. Like, how's your prayer life? It's been busy. <laughs> the solution is to make time in your, for your walk with God. Not a lot of time, but to guard that time with your life. Next week, we're going to talk about what to do with that time. But first, you've got to make it and protect it. I'm a little bit embarrassed by this. Uh, I, I've been a pastor for uh, 30, over 30 years now. There's a period of, in my life where I was so busy, I would get up in the morning and go to the gym, and then I would go right to the office. And then usually I'd work late, I'd have meetings, and I'd come home. I left before my wife was awake, my kids were awake, and I would be so busy throughout the day. And I would 
go to bed at night, my wife would already be in bed. I was completely exhausted. And then we'd repeat that four or five days a week, and Saturday I'd be home. I thought that would make up for it. Um, the weekends, uh, Sunday I would get up, same thing, get up. Uh, I'd be in church. I'd notice my wife was sometimes a little bit late with the two like very young kids. I think, what's her problem? Like, and real, not realizing I'd basically delegated to her all the parenting, um, all the, the chore of getting the kids actually to church. Uh, and then I would be there all day. And, you know, it wasn't very long before uh, Charlene told me, we have a problem. You're not making time for our relationship. Um, our, our relationship needs time. I've discovered actually that since then, by the way, God has changed it. We spend time together every day. Now I look back at those years and think how much I was missing. You know, not just of her, but my kids. And how I wish I could go turn the clock back and make the time for what matters most in that time. I've actually come to realize the same thing applies to God. God is there. He's so patient with us. But a lot of us are just counting on his patience and grace, knowing that he is patient, but we're flying through life. We know he's not going to abandon us, but friends, our relationship is suffering because we're simply not making the time for him. And so I would challenge you, for some of you who are so rushed, if I said, how are you doing with the habits of an you know, how are you doing with your spiritual life? And you're like, I'm so busy. Make some time. By that, I mean, I mean, there's no way to make time. You've just got to guard some time. I would suggest beginning with a small amount, 10, 15 minutes a day. And I would actually also guard Sundays. Uh, we're going to talk about this next week. One of the best things you can do for your spiritual life is to show up here every week. Guard your time. Make time. Because one of the things that can trip us up spiritually is our constant busyness. We will not stop being busy, but in the midst of that busyness, we can make a commitment to prioritize what matters most, which is our time for the Lord. Just even 10 to 15 minutes a day. The second one is similar. The first one is actually to guard against uh, busyness and uh, busyness basically tripping up. So gird the loins of your mind, like get rid of the busyness. It's going to trip you up. The second one is a little bit similar, which is this. Don't just make time, but number two, rest and refresh. And so if the first one's about not being tripped up by busyness. The second one is not being tripped up by fatigue. Okay. So honestly, is anybody tired here this morning? Okay. Yeah. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to be spiritually mature when you're fatigued? I mean, sometimes my wife looks at me and says, you need a nap. <laughs> I've noticed how hard it is to be godly when exhausted. I don't know what it is. Uh, when people come from overseas, they come to Ontario, and they, they just pick up the fact that we live at an unsustainable pace of never-ending activity. We're being tripped up by an always-on, 24-7 way of life that we were never meant to live. I began to discover that there's a command in the Ten Commandments called Sabbath. It's very, really interesting, isn't it, that God gave us these ten words. Uh, he's like, out of everything I'm going to give you, 613 laws, they're all basically uh, applying these ten that are really big. And you look at, okay, what's God's agenda for our lives? And you begin to look at things like, okay, I'm number one. Keep that in mind, right? Uh, don't go around killing people. <laughs> okay, I think I got that one. Like, uh, your parents, treat them right. Like, stop 
sleeping with other people's partners. Like, and you're looking at it, it's all so basic. But these are the 10 things that God really wants for us. Well, in there, and it's actually the longest of the 10 commandments, is the command to rest. And it's interesting because as I studied this, I preached about it the other week. Actually, in the command uh, to observe the Sabbath, it is the longest of the Ten Commandments. Not only that, it actually closes the most loopholes. So you read it and it says, not just you, but then it goes, it lists all the people like, don't get around this by finding a loophole. I'm going to close all the loopholes because I want you to observe this in your life. It is the one that spends the most time on the benefits of why you should keep it. And it's also the one that's repeated most often in the Old Testament. Now, as I preach about it, I did a lot of research and I realized Sabbath is actually a very controversial command today. And there's a lot of theologians who believe that it no longer applies. I'm not going to get into all the reasons here. Uh, I'm happy to talk to you about it. But I will just say that there's a lot of theologians who believe that the Sabbath, for a number of reasons, doesn't apply to us today. I was reading one of them and he said this. Uh, actually, I'm going to give you two things that hit me. One said, while other people debate the Sabbath, I actually prefer to just observe the Sabbath. You, you go out there, debate, I'll be here resting and enjoying God's gift of rest. The other one who actually says that Sabbath no longer applies or is binding on Christians today, he says this, his name is Tom Schreiner, he says, but it's still wise for believers to rest. And hence one principle that could be derived from the Sabbath is that believers should regularly rest. And friends, in an exhausted world, God wants you to know that you are far more than what you do. In a world that measures our worth by productivity and by achievement, God wants us to remember that he measures us not by that, but by simply the fact that we're his sons and his daughters. And God calls us to step away from the relentless world of always doing more, never feeling like we've done enough, always feeling like we've got to be connected and respond to everything. And God says, I just want you to step away from that and breathe. One day a week, I want you to simply be and enjoy Look at what I've given you. Look at the gifts I've given you. Enjoy them. Most of all, enjoy me. I delight in you. Can you believe God is crazy about you? I don't understand why God loves me, but he does. And for a day a week, he just invites us to step away from all of that and enjoy him. I picture Adam and Eve. They kind of have a hyperactive imagination. You know, God creates them. And the next day, Genesis 2, they wake up. And, you know, you read in that they walked with God in the cool of the garden. So I picture Adam and Eve waking up the first day and saying, God, what are we doing today? And God says, rest. And Adam and Eve, you know, I just picture, I'm imagining, they look at each other like, we haven't even done anything yet. And the first thing we have to do is rest. What a picture of the gospel. The first thing that God invites us to do is, before we do anything for him, it's to receive from him, to simply be, to receive. And out of that, actually to work. And so I would say one of the things, one of the countercultural things that we need to begin to do, very simple, is actually just begin to build this practice into our life of stepping away once in a while, docking the phone, turning it off, putting on an airplane mode maybe, you know, pursuing activities, turning off the email, turning off the to-do list, basically just saying, today I'm going to simply be. Making room for God to show up in your life for you to enjoy him and his gifts your boss came to you and said, what if I gave you an extra seven weeks of holiday this year? A lot of us would be really confused, like what, what gives here? God turns to us and says, I want to give you basically seven weeks of rest a year, seven weeks of, you know, one seventh of the year where basically you just cease 
and you exist. Now, a lot of you might be saying, that's impossible. You don't know my schedule. And what I would say is, begin like slowly. You don't have to do a day right away. A lot of us need to work up to this. Uh, when my wife and I started to do this together, we actually found that it was really difficult. It took a long adjustment period. At one point, my wife said to me, and she said, I give up. Like, this isn't working. This is too hard. Resting is actually hard to be intentional. And we stuck with it, and we're so glad that we've done it now. But it applies to more than just Sabbath. I, I would urge you to get to that point where you're enjoying a day off a week. But theologian Don Carson says this, uh, applying this to more than just Sabbath. Sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep. Not pray all night, but sleep. He says, I'm certainly not denying that there might be a place for praying all night, but I'm merely insisting that in the normal course of things, spiritual discipline obligates you to get the sleep that your body needs. And so, friends, we're always being tripped up by busyness. We're not making time for what matters most for God. I think a lot of times we're tripped up by fatigue as well. We're, we can't really spend time with God in prayer because we're just so exhausted. Uh, we feel we don't even have the energy to do it. And so one of the habits I would invite you to cultivate, it might be that God, the Holy Spirit, is speaking to some of you right now and just saying, you've been going too hard and it's hindering your spiritual growth. You need to take a step back and rest. Breathe in my goodness, receive from me. Don't get your identity from what you do. That doesn't impress me. God is pleased with our worship. Our, when we do it for the Lord, he's well pleased when we work for the Lord. But we don't have to earn God's approval. And so rest, take a step back and rest. Habit number three, you might not like this. <laughs> Aren't these so simple? Like what I found, these are actually the issues that get in the way of, of people growing spiritually. Uh, of people even, these are the girding up your loin habits. Number three is this, care for your body. Care for your body. You're seeing a theme here, aren't you? Uh, there's a seminary professor, his name is Greg Allison, and he describes the day that somebody, a student came to his office and said, Professor, I'm struggling spiritually. I need help. Help me to grow. And he wanted to know the steps he could take to get back on track spiritually. Well, Dr. Allison probed a little bit and said, okay, well, tell me about your life. And the guy, it turns out that he was basically living on a diet of Twinkies and chips. Anybody remember first year university? Okay. He wasn't, his digestive issues were flaring up. Uh, he wasn't sleeping well, as you wouldn't if you were eating that kind of thing. He didn't exercise. But he wasn't there for advice about his body. He wanted to know how to get back on track spiritually. And Dr. Allison, who's a brilliant theologian, who's written numerous books, turned to him and said, I've got the solution for how you need to grow spiritually. You need to start looking after your body. We as Christians often have a very mixed feeling about our bodies. I find a lot of Christians have a view that what matters is the spiritual part of our lives. And the body somewhat over there, it's not as important. And we even have a verse for it. We say, didn't Paul say that bodily exercise only profits a little, but godliness is, is useful for all things. So we say, I'm not going to go to the gym. It's so much more important that I spend the time in the word of God. And what we don't understand is it's actually impossible to segment ourselves into different parts. Like there's no spiritual part of you and then physical part of you and emotional and mental part of you. God calls us to love him with all of us. God calls us to love him with all that we are. 
Our bodies matter to the Lord. In fact, our bodies matter so much to the Lord that Jesus Christ himself took on a human body. And he realized right now, Jesus continues to be in a physical body and will for eternity. That right now at God's right hand, Jesus, fully God and fully man, is interceding for us. That's how much the body matters to God, that Jesus, God the Son himself, is in a physical body. Unless you think that your body is only temporary. I've been to a lot of funerals where they say, well, the body's going to the ground. That doesn't matter. What's more important is, is the heart. You know, that's actually not a biblical teaching. Uh, Paul talks about that intermediate period being a very unusual period. He, calls, he, he compares it to being in a tent. Now, I don't know. I love camping. After about two weeks in a tent, I'm ready to go back home. <laughs> and, and Paul compares it to being like, it's kind of an in-between period. But you're not at home at that period. One day you're going to be reclothed with your body and it's going to be far more glorious than it is now. It's going to be amazing. You will be an embodied creature for eternity. Your body actually matters to God. In 1 Corinthians 6, and it, if, I know it's referring to this in the context of our sexuality, but it has a wider application. It says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price to glorify God in your body. God cares about your bodies and what you do with them. And so my wife, who is one of the godliest people I know, somebody that I admire so much, a number of years ago, as a lot of us do, was finding that her health was not what it should be. And one day we went um, uh, kneeboarding, and uh, there was a little bit of an incident there where something that she used to be able to do, she struggled to do. And she looked at her kids and realized, like, I don't want to be that mother whose health is getting in the way of, of doing. And it was just one of those moments where she was convicted. And over the course of three years, she just began to practice small things that helped her get healthy. Uh, none of them were like that fancy. They were so simple. None, no crash diet, just like basic things. She began to point her nose towards getting healthier. And over the course of three years, I watched her completely transform. You know what's interesting is, over the course of the three years, her relationship with God also transformed. And I didn't understand it at the time until she explained to me uh, later, you know, of course, like as when I was feeling sluggish all the time, when I was feeling like I just didn't have the energy, when I was feeling lousy all the time, of course that affected my spiritual life. And since then, yeah, she's just helped me understand uh, even what scripture says about the body. And so all of this to say, I know this is a challenge for all of us. I'm not even telling you all the things we need to do. All I'm saying is God cares for your body. And it could be the thing like that student came to Dr. Allison. It could be the thing that's holding some of us back spiritually is actually that we haven't been getting the sleep or the nutrition or the exercise that we need. That actually the thing that can help us honor God most is actually caring for our bodies so that we're able to love him with our bodies. And so gird up your loins by caring for your body. Last one, don't get tripped up by busyness, make time. Don't get tripped up by fatigue, uh, rest. Don't get tripped up by uh, misusing your body, actually care for it. I understand some of us have ailments that are beyond our control, but be a steward of your body. And the last one is this, simplify and prioritize. Simplify and prioritize. Okay, so what's this? I don't know what it is about life. But complexity just happens, doesn't it? Uh, the emails pile up, pile up. The bills pile up. Uh, things need fixing. Obligations are added upon obligation. 
Sometimes I don't even know, you know, my calendar comes. The only thing that helps me is somebody cancels an appointment with me and my day becomes manageable again. Can anybody relate to that? Has anybody said, oh, I'm so sorry, I need to cancel that appointment? And inwardly you're doing a dance like, praise God. You know, God is alive. He's at work in my life. I learned something in the year that I erased and uh, Hebrews 12.1 became real for me. Hebrews 12.1 says this, therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, they talk about running the Christian life faithfully. Let us also lay aside every weight. And we focus on the next part in sin, which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I find it interesting that uh, the author to the Hebrews didn't just say, let's get rid of every sin that's helping us or hindering us. He says, actually, let's get rid of every weight. When I was doing those races that one year, um, we would be like a little later, like maybe October, November, and we'd all be there in our winter coats at the starting line or with blankets and everything. And you're looking around going like, and then the gun goes, and everyone's like, all of a sudden that just goes flying. And then the people who come, you know, pick them up and donate them to charity or whatever. But it was such a good example of, if you're going to run that race, you've just got to shed some of the stuff that's going to weigh you down. It's not even sinful stuff. In our Christian walk, it can just be stuff that's weighing us down, that's distracted, distracting us from following the Lord. Friends, sometimes our phones aren't sinful, but sometimes our phones are distracting us, and we've got to lay aside the weight. The first thing we look at in the morning is our phones before we look at the Word of God. I know that's such a temptation. Lay aside the weight. Sometimes our habits our, the stuff that we're letting into our life isn't sinful, but it's become a weight that's slowing us down in our race to follow the Lord. And so all of this is so basic. But I've discovered it's so necessary. I so badly want to get into next week's stuff. Like I'm itching at the bit. I just want to talk to you about the habits we're going to, th- they excite me. As I said earlier, this is, I almost feel embarrassed because this is so simple. I also feel like this is so, I mean, this is like put in your reps, right? Or like sand, prepare to paint. Like this is so boring, but it's so necessary. The reason why many of us aren't growing is because we're neglecting some of these things. Got a friend who's mentors young women. Her husband's a theology prof and she's one of the godliest people I know. And she just mentors university-age people. And I say to her, what are you covering with them? And she says, basically stuff like, you know, make time. Like, go to bed at night. Um, eat well. Like, and that way you'll begin to be able to make room in your life for following the Lord. Friends, God has done so much for us. The gospel is great news. First Peter 1 is all about the gospel. Jesus Christ is great and gracious. In light of that, there's some things that he's given us to do. And as we prepare ourselves to do those things as a result of the salvation that God has given us, there's a middle step that some of us have missed, and that's to gird up our loins to prepare ourselves to run the race. And so prepare to grow because preparation is essential for our spiritual lives. So let's pray. I ask the Holy Spirit to maybe bring one of these to our, our minds and, and drill it home. Let's pray as we think about practicing these habits in our lives. Lord, thank you for our salvation. There's no better news 
that we will ever hear than Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead. Or that everything has been done for us. There's nothing left that has to be done. Jesus has paid the price in full. We are his children. You delight in us. You love us. Lord, you are taking us home. Our inheritance is secure in you. We are loved, and we praise you for that. Today, uh, prophets and angels are looking at that salvation. They're looking at what Jesus Christ has done for us, and they're saying, wow. There's nothing more that Jesus could have lavished on us. There's nothing more that he could have done. There's no way that we could be more loved than we are. In light of that, you call us to live a life of gratitude and obedience to you. And part of that just means girding up our loins, getting rid of the stuff that's getting in the way, uh, whether it's busyness or fatigue or um, whether it's not caring for bodies, whether it's just the complexity that we've allowed, um, the bad habits that we've allowed to crowd out what you're doing in our lives. Pray that your Holy Spirit would just direct us. These are basic things. But I pray your Holy Spirit would Deal with us, Lord, so that we're prepared, that our loins are are girded, that we're ready to run the race. My prayer in all of this is that the focus wouldn't be on the habits. My prayer is the focus would be on Jesus himself. Lord, he's the one that we're running for. He's the one that we want. He's the, the prize. And he's the one who's worthy of all our worship and all of our obedience. We praise him. We want to live for him. So help us by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.